Hey there, we're the Westlot Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Uh, well, guys, I know we've been dying to get into the uh, nitty-gritties of this amazing 18-15 to 15 win over Rutgers. Uh, but before we do, um, just wanted to mention real quick, we do have uh, we, we've put out some really good pod so far this year, if in my humble opinion. And you know, I, I know a lot of you out there have really enjoyed what you've been hearing. And, you know, thank you for everyone who's come up to us at the tailgate uh, over in the Central Golf Lot and said hi. I mean, I know John and I really appreciate just meeting everyone. Um, you know, Eric, you met up with some folks down at Purdue and. Um, you just kind of want to take, take a moment to say real quick, if you like what you hear, if you're enjoying the pod, tell, tell a friend and a great way to help promote the pod is, uh, if you just head over to iTunes and leave a quick five-star review, um, that definitely helps, uh, boost our, you know, ratings. It helps boost our listenership. And, uh, we definitely love to get more people listening to the pod. So uh, if you like what you hear, head over to iTunes, um, Leave, leave a review. Uh, you can also call our voicemail line, 847-231-CATS. That's 847-231-2287. You can email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Um, find us, you can find us on Twitter. We're on there pretty much most games that, you know, we're at, at least where we're not at. Um, you know, cause you, you know what the cell reception is at Ryan Field. Um, but yeah, I mean, We'd love to get more people listening and, you know, anything y'all can do to, to help out, you know, if you like what you hear, tell a friend. Absolutely. Uh, you can hit up our Facebook page as well. We've been trying to get a little bit more active on there this year, uh, making sure we're posting the pod. We're on the Rivals board as well. If you are a Rivals board person and want to engage with us in that space, um, but anything, anything uh, to help us drive conversation and eyeballs, I think we hear a lot from people you know, wow, I just found your podcast. I wish I had known about it earlier. And uh, we're doing we're doing what we can. We're, we're engaging some of our contacts at the university and, and, and elsewhere to to help with that as well. But um, asking for a, a helping hand from all y'all. So uh, en- enough of the of the ads now, the self-promotional ads. <laughs> <laughs> Are you guys medicated enough to talk about Rutgers? Oh, boy. Yeah, let's. Uh... I'd, I'd rather do more entreaties to our potential fan base. Can we just do that for like 15 minutes and then move on to Wisconsin? But no, I guess I guess we've got to dive in. Um, yeah, I mean, this game was bad. I mean, there, there's no real way to sugarcoat it. I'm glad. I'm actually glad that I missed the first half because I was out apple picking with my family. I figured, you know, I'll, I'll go back and watch it on DVR and, you know, seeing the text from you guys as I was driving back into the city, like, oh, I don't need to look at this game on DVR. I just flipped it on. Interestingly enough, I, maybe I should go apple picking every time because I came back, turned it on, and that's when things turned. But <laughs> what an ugly game. I, th- I, wait, I th- Hey, we, we, war- we warned everyone, and that's not like an I told you so. It's just like... We knew exactly what this was going to look like. It was even a little bit worse than we thought. But, man, just, like, go get some mouthwash, rinse this thing out, and let's move on. I feel really bad for the, ahem, 32,514 people (laughs) who watched that game. That were dressed like uh, stadium seats. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It was... A lightly attended affair, probably to everyone's benefit. But um, can I say this right off the top, though? Because I think last week I feel like I came in as kind of Debbie Downer when we had this game that was was very gross but had a really exciting ending, and I kind of threw cold water off the top. I just want to say right off the top, phenomenal defensive performance in this game. And that's something that's going to very much matter going forward. Our defense was awesome. Blake Gallagher missed one tackle against their running back, and that led to a 44-yard run, and that was really the only play to speak of Rutgers had the entire game. Um, They had short field several times. Um, One time, you know, twice led to field goals. They got the safety. Their offense did nothing in this game. And 
thank the love of God, that's why we won. But I just want to start by patting the defense on the back because they showed up, they played great football, and that's what won us the game ultimately. Also got a shout out to uh, to the running back core, at least the ones who were not you know buried in the mash unit. Um, Isaiah Bowser, Chad Hanaoka, Drake Anderson. I mean, they they showed up um, with Moten out, with Vault out. Um, you know, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel in our running backs in our running backs room, and uh, especially Bowser. I mean, he really, you know, he impressed me. I mean, the the way he was pounding the line and actually moving the pile forward. I mean, we haven't had a power back like that in a in a while. So, so I have good news and bad news, and, and the running game is something I really wanted to focus on because it's it's funny. It's what the media has been focusing on, and and the the common the common discussion around NU was, oh, they can't run at all um, after we played the two best rush defenses in the Big Ten, and now having played the worst rush defense of the Big Ten, there's a lot of like Isaiah Bowser should be the starter, and yada yada, and so. I'm not saying that. no. I was, no we, I was impressed with what I saw. We aren't saying that. Others are saying that, and I think so. There's there's two there's kind of two perspectives I wanna I wanna focus on. The first thing is that and Bowser was really good on uh, on Saturday, and we talked a bit on the pod about how he might be a better fit for our blocking schemes than a Solomon Vault or uh, or a Drake Anderson, specifically because. He's a guy that, that can run through a tighter space and run through contact, much like a Justin Jackson or a Jeremy Larkin. I mean, we've, we've been blocking for that type of back for the last four-plus years. It's not easy to suddenly change things and go to a, to a style that's more conducive to a, a super speedy guy that's small but's going to probably go down with the first you know heavy contact they get. Bowser, and, and I, th- I think Moten could be more like this as well. Bowser just kind of fits that mold and... I think makes more sense in this spot than than a vault or a or a Drake Anderson. Now that being said, that was Bowser's fourth game. I think it's very possible we won't see him the rest of the year. Um, knowing that, like Fitz kind of alluded to the idea that Vault and Moten would be coming back. Uh, so we'll we'll see how that plays out. I mean, and and the other side of that coin though is Rutgers is the worst rushing defense uh, in the conference. They give up an average of five point four six yards per rush. Uh, 224 yards per game. That's bottom 20 uh, in in college football. Um, Illinois is right there with them, uh, which I always like to see. But I like it's. We we knew that the Cats were going to try to run the ball in this game. Whatever they changed from the first half to the second half, like good job because in the first half it felt like they had drawn a line in the sand. Like we will run the ball, um, despite all evidence that that should tell them to do otherwise. But um, they did figure it out in the second half. Thank goodness they did. It it is probably what won us the game. Um, we ain't gonna be able to run like that next week. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It, it's it was it's hard to know right too much of what to process here. I would say for Bowser, especially if, as you said, they do end up shelving him. The main takeaway is that's a raw pow- That's a lot of raw power for a guy who still is is going to very much grow into being a college football player. Um, you're still talking about a guy who's very young. Um, and he's, it's amazing. You know, it's funny. I read an, an article after the Purdue's big game against Ohio state that mentioned that Rondell Moore squats 600 pounds <laughs> and wow. dude, oh my yeah. And we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Right. But the idea is because Bowser is not the biggest guy in the world. Um, but some guys are just able, and of course, in Moore's case, he leverages it in terms of speed, but to squeeze a ton of power into a smaller package. Bowser's not the biggest back in the world, but he's unbelievably strong, and you can see there's still room for 10, 15 more pounds of muscle on his frame, Um, and especially if you think of the fact that this guy may have potentially up to four more years at Northwestern, um, there's a real long-term power back situation there, to Scuzz's point. But yeah, I mean, there were... There were times running out where, you know, Chad Hanaoka, all credit to Chad, was was running and, and running like the Dickens through some massive holes early on. And I, getting love, I love the way that kid runs. Obviously. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah, with just like heart and everything. The way he runs makes it him look a little faster than he actually is. But he's just like full of effort, full of heart. 
But some of those holes were really big, and I just was thinking, I mean, these holes are just going to be non-existent against Wisconsin. Um, and that's where I think the real pivot is here is this sort of trick-or-treat thing that's going on with Thorson right now because um, I'm sure we'll we'll spend time, although not too much time, talking about the offensive play-calling foibles. Uh, but Thorson was just not hitting his targets in general. And given that I think, you know, the announcers were as apoplectic as anyone, although one of them was Glenn Mason, so take it with a grain of salt, but <laughs> that that we were not throwing the ball more given what you know transpired the week before. And a big part of it was, was Clayton was not locating. Um, and when you factor that in with a couple well-timed drops by his receiver core, that was all it took for the passing game to shut down. And that in a, just in and of itself is a scary thing. Well, and I, I want... <laughs> That was a real frustration to me during the game because pe- like people were freaking out, saying Thorson, Thorson was having his worst game ever, and uh, I, they, there, there were two two things that, and I went I went back and watched every every pass uh, at halftime. I went back and watched every pass in the first half to try and understand what was happening. And what was interesting is in the first quarter, Thorson was dialed in. Um, he hit his first six passes. Guys were being hit in stride, etc. He looked really good. Something changed in the second quarter. I don't know if it was the direction on the field, if there was a swirling wind situation. I didn't see him take a big hit or anything, but perhaps um, shortly after throwing, or or maybe he just landed on something funny. But he started to seem tentative. Not that he wasn't like stepping forward, but he wasn't like following through on his passes. And I think it started to to lead him to to be throwing high, and then he was trying to um, adjust for that, and he was throwing behind guys and low. Um, there were certainly a couple tip balls at the line as well, but it was just, it was just kind of weird. The, the bigger frustration I had is that it was so clear. We had zero separation, uh, amongst the wide receivers because it, we've generally been good at scheming guys open. We run a lot of mesh routes where, where basically we're running pick plays on both sides of, of, of the field. We run a lot of mesh routes. It's a lot of uh, a lot of the ways that we get Flynn Nagel open so often, and it becomes a little bit of just a, just a bread and butter kind of throw. John, you've talked about this before, like the throws that the QB is super comfortable with. You get him a couple of easy reps and allow him to to zone in again on on his release point, and it it felt like we were watching a team that had not game planned anything in the passing attack all week all the focus had been on the run they had nothing available uh to to get anybody open or get any separation in the passing game it didn't help then when Skoranek went down with injury cam green got his uh, his foot twisted he continued to play but uh, i I'm, I'm confident that he was hobbled from a speed perspective and it and there was there was just nowhere to go again thankfully they figured out the running attack but it, it's it's We've said this many times on the pod. Like it, it feels like our coaches go into these games with a plan A, and as much as Fitz wants to talk about, you don't have your A game, and you got to figure out with your C game. Like you need a plan B. You got to have an alternative, guys. Um, I don't know. You, you mean you don't you don't you don't like Plan B of throwing JJ Jefferson out there to do the Jelani package once again and having say saying here he comes. I have a I have a pet theory that. Jelani just subbed himself out, and that's why we don't see him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that that we were like, hey, hey, 160-pound guy, is it all right if we put you on the field for one play, telegraph that you're going to go around the end and let everyone know you're getting the ball? And he's like, no, I'm good. I'm just going to stay over here on the bench. <laughs> so, Scuzz, uh, to your point, that actually um, kind of leads into a, the, a theory that I, I've kind of been thinking about and something that's been – kind of I've been mulling over uh the past couple days and um you know what's interesting is that you know you hear Fitz saying every every game after you know we we want to go one and oh each game and I'm wondering if that mentality has you know it kind of explains why you see a different team every week I mean last week it was you know we did what we could do to beat Nebraska but that isn't going to work against someone else. But, you know, we played Michigan in such a good way. All we're doing every week is just, you know, it's not a fully holistic thought process. But if you're completely changing everything each week uh, with the sole focus 
on your opponent and you're not worrying about yourself and doing what you're good at. I don't know. What, what do you guys think about that? Th- throwing the baby out with the bath bathwater, essentially. Yeah. Like, yeah, like yeah. You, cause I feel like a lot of that is like flush the flush, the bad stuff. Don't worry about it. And you know, don't, don't rest on our laurels. Like you're, you're O and O next week. You get, you know, you got to start from scratch and win, but if you're not effectively building on what went well, yeah, I mean, I could, I could buy there's a little there's a little bit to that. Um I mean I think it I, I think a lot of it again kinda comes back to, to game planning and scheming and it and, and that, that just seems so inconsistent week to week. There's you know, like this I won't say brilliant, but really smart approach to, to Michigan State and, and maybe we just have a copy of their playbook, I don't know. Um but this really start smart approach to, to Michigan State followed up by two weeks of, of head scratching. I don't know, it's it's weird. Well, there is the thing hanging over the whole season, too, of you almost wonder how much of our success early in games is like based on scripting of some sort, just yeah. because uh, we seem to score on almost every first drive across the entire season. And not like, just like early in the game, first drive. It's like the one thing everybody agrees McCall is pretty good at. <laughs> right. It's like, it's, and, but then you kind of wonder, it's like, well, what's, what's going out the window? Again, I, this was not a great play calling game. I'll say that. I will say to your points, guys, earlier um, about the mesh routes. I almost wonder if, at least in this game, or you know, if officials are looking at Northwestern or trying to make it a point of emphasis, because I think it was Cam Green got called yeah. for pick on a pick play that was yeah. total BS. And all I could think is, are that were the refs kind of sitting on this and saw what you know and, and saw what they thought was a rub route and then called it because it was basically just two defenders ran into each other and then Cam got called for a pick. Um, but I am kind of wondering if if you know if the officials are aware of it. Um, but the the one thing I will say is, and you know it's it's hard not to juxtapose it against Dan Persa. Um, partly because he was on the pod and everything he said on the pod and just you kind of got the the feeling that the more things went against Northwestern while he was the quarterback, the matter he got and the matter <laughs> all of the guys in the offense yeah, got, right? Yeah. Like their response was just to get pissed off. And I think Clayton you can like you can see him climb inside of his own head a little bit sometimes. I mean, we know the gifts are there, but for, for Michigan State, right, two plays, uh, you know, two series into Michigan State, I was texting you guys being like, this guy's throwing 100 right now. Um, you could just see it. Like, he was yeah. just throwing lasers out there. And then Nebraska was not as good, but still okay. And then this game led to, you know, you and me, guys doing analysis, trying to determine whether or not he was hurt in some way during the game. Um, and the kind of coming away with, like, fork, like unclear but I just, to me, I think he was missing passes early, and then it kind of affected him. And you take Flynn Nagel, who is Mister Sure-handed, had just an inexplicable drop. And I, I was kind of wondering. I was like, does it sort of flow downhill? You know, um, if the balls are coming out in a way that you're not used to seeing, a little bit unreliable. Does it does it get into the receivers' heads too a little bit? And you know, you want to think that everybody is just immune to all this, but I, but every team is a little bit different, and. You know, it's it's funny because then you'll have the flip side where, again, we just talked about the Michigan State game. Clayton goes into hostile territory um, against a team that maybe not the greatest pass defense, but amazing overall defense, knows he's going to get no help from his run game and is just dealing from the very get-go. And, you know, it's all you can hope is that, uh, that you know, next week we get that guy. And to his credit, he does tend to show up against the big team. So we'll see. Wow, there was there was one uh, creative play that I really enjoyed on on Saturday from our offense, and that's the uh, the Cam Green pushes Clayton Thorson from behind really hard on a QB <laughs> sneak. Kind of genius, actually. Like they they've been running that play every time the Thorson's uh, been called upon to sneak. I don't every almost, single time. It's almost I like someone noticed... was like four hundred and fifty pounds of mass moving forward. I haven't yeah. noticed the the Cam Green push element before. Um, so oh yeah, I, no. Like, every time, every time. I, I love it. It's genius. I will say there was one other place, Guz, that you just reminded me of, and I specifically wanted to get your take on it and and see if you saw it, what you thought of it. The coolest play I saw us run, and like so many of our other best plays, we ran it one time. Um, was a five wide 
that started out as a four wide with Flynn Nagel as the running back. He was just there so that he could move out into the receiver core. But I would assume the idea behind it was we're going five wide, but we're going to start Flynn in the backfield, then move him somewhere and see what they do. Yeah. And I was like, that's great. Yes. Do more of that. Yeah, I, I would I would love to see more of that next week. Um, what's interesting, we usually do the opposite of that, right? We start five wide, and then we move the running back back into the backfield to kind of, like, in one sense, see how the defense shifts, um, try to get a sense of, of uh, who's got what responsibilities, but also to then give the opportunity of, of run versus pass. I, I love the opposite effect because – moving Nagel forces the the secondary to tip their their hand a little bit uh, and shift gears. Right. I just love it. Like move move the guy around, move your impact players around, change up your looks, lots of different stuff. And you know, I do you, part do, you of me, do you remember when we used to scream for for Venrick or Mark to be in motion on every single play? <laughs> right. Well, that's that's poor, can, like can we can we bring poor JJ Jefferson out like three oh. more times and have him go fly routes and not get the ball? Um, just for his own personal well-being. I mean, you know, it's it's little things, but I, but part of you hopes deep down that since this game, I'm sure, has been circled on the calendar for at least a calendar year, that that maybe some of this stuff is is in the tank. But let's, you know, I know we're going to move off this game very soon. I just want to say, all of us, in particular, Scuzz, told you what time it, what type of game this was going to be. Okay. We didn't think it was going to be this bad necessarily, but we thought it was going to be like this. A gross game where we took a gross W, and now we move forward to a much bigger game. An eight-point deficit in the second half was not expected, (laughs) but... uh, (laughs) Yeah, so let's put that behind us because... God, I want, I don't I never want to think about that game again. Four and um, one, four and one in the Big Ten, massive game coming up. Oh yeah. boy, biggest game since September of two thousand and thirteen. Oh boy, yeah, you're going no, there. This is, boy, it, it is though, right? It is. No, you're right. This is the biggest home game since Northwestern hosted Game Day in Ohio State in twenty thirteen. We have we have not had. I mean, we so we've had, you know, at no at. Wisconsin last year was obviously big, but it was our season or our conference opener. We haven't had a like late October game with this much meaning because we've usually lost to Wisconsin early on in the year or or something else has happened. This is this is a big effing deal. It's interesting when you look at the top of the of the uh, division. You know, we're at four and one. Wisconsin's at three and one. With a win over Iowa, Iowa's three and one. Um, Purdue's three and, then, and one. And we then have player, a win over player them. four has entered the game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no Purdue. All of a sudden, you know, with that win over Ohio State, but you know, fortunately, we do have the win over them. Um, a lot, a lot of these games, like these head to heads, still need to happen. I mean, Purdue hasn't played Wisconsin. Or Iowa yet? You know we're playing Wisconsin now. We've got Iowa in a couple weeks, so now is when the the cream is going to rise to the top, and we have a huge opportunity in front of us here. Our defense has been playing lights out uh, the past several weeks. I mean, you know, Nebraska notwithstanding, we we've talked about what Adrian Martinez does. We know what <laughs> Wisconsin Alex Hornibrook is. Don't yeah <laughs> yeah. Wisconsin, you, you need to worry about Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> I to me, so, to me, <laughs> I, 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 see, I see what you did there. I yes, this so I Scuzz and I have some some fairly serious disagreement on Wisconsin's offense, but it's going to be really fun to go through because I think all of you listening at home are just. We've all been circling this one forever, and I think um, we're really going to go back and forth on this because this is a team that we should be really digging deep into. And uh, they're, I mean, Wisconsin's a really interesting team to look at. One thing Scuzz and I can agree on is if a defense doesn't show up, Wisconsin's just going to flatten you on the ground. They'll just run right over you. Um, the I think where we start to disagree a little bit is... What, what happens to Wisconsin when they play really good defenses? Um, 
My own personal take is that if, if you go back and you look at last season, um, where it's easy to forget just how soft the Badgers' schedule was for the first seven or eight games, um, there when they actually had to play strong defenses. Um, and I would throw us into this book too. And it was, you know, it's a way to revisit last year's game against the Badgers. But um, if you can contain Taylor, which again, easier said than done, but for the defenses who can do it, Hornibrook, Hornibrook is a trick-or-treat kind of guy um, to, to Sam's uh, deafening silence there. Um, and if you get bad Hornibrook, like the guy who showed up against Michigan, um, there is a win there to be had. But again, that's saying that you can do what Michigan did at home with that defense. Um, but again, I, uh, I would submit that a good defense um, can have great success against Wisconsin's offense. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm torn. As you, as you, as you presented this theory earlier, I was. <sighs> well, because it's, I know it's easy to scoff because they flatten so many teams. They just, I mean, they're, they, they're capable of just obliterating you. They also play a. St- we talk a lot about how Pat Fitzgerald plays a style of football and a, and a style of game plan that lends itself to close games, for ill or for or for good and results in similar results against opponents. I, When I look at Wisconsin, I see a team that just steamrolls everybody that's beneath them and then plays a style of old-school, traditional, tight football games, you know, um, in the big, big matchups. And I guess, I guess on one hand, this is not like the Monty Ball Wisconsin of five years ago that was going to run roughshod over you and to the tune of 70 points. Um, Jonathan Taylor is for my, like I think he's a really good tailback. I think their offensive line is not as good as was anticipated coming into this year. I mean, they were talking about having the best O line in the country and that has not been true. That has definitely not been true. Taylor is good. He is not Monty Ball. He is not Melvin Gordon. He's not one of these absolutely stunning, amazing running backs that that Wisconsin had, especially during the um, uh, giant coach that went to Arkansas. Bielema. Thank you, during the Bielema years. Um, but that being said, I, like they're still really good. The good news, I guess, is that they match up. It's a good matchup for us, and that's where we do agree, John. Is that like our our run D can absolutely contain Taylor? They're not going to hold him under fifty yards. Like he's probably going to get a hundred, maybe one hundred and fifty on us. And it's it. I think I think it all comes down to our offense. Like if if we can play like we played against Michigan State, we got a shot. If we play like we played against Michigan or Nebraska, we're toast. Right. I think, and it's it's funny, Sam alluded to this earlier in the year. I don't know, two or three years ago. But for me, if you go back and you look at, so to your point, Scuzz, right, um, of this is their style, this is the way that they're built. Well, you're right. Taylor isn't one of, you know, at least for our money, one of the all-time greats. I a lot of know I know a lot of the nation would disagree. I encourage you to look at what Wisconsin's schedule for the first 10 games of last year looked like. Um but the but the flip side is last year, so here's here's a point of reference. When they played of all the times Wisconsin has played a what everyone agrees to be a good to great defense. Um, arguably, their their second best performance would be Northwestern of last year, uh, where they scored 33. Two of that was on a safety that Clayton Thorson took at the end of the game. And Wisconsin had 17 points coming into the fourth quarter of that game. And Taylor had 80 yards in that game. Number one with a bullet is last year against Iowa, when the Badgers beat Iowa 38-14. to but as we've talked about many times, the reason the Badgers won that game 38-14, to Iowa had 60 yards in that game. That's how good the Badgers' defense was last year. And as Sam alluded to a little bit a few weeks ago, it's not as good this year. It's still a great defense, but it's more like a great defense, not this mind-bending best-in-the-nation defense that they had last year. 
Um, and it's like, take that Iowa game. Hornibrook had two touchdowns and three interceptions in that game. And Wisconsin still scored 38 points because Iowa couldn't get across their own 20 the entire game. And it's like if a team with this kind of style and buildup can just keep their throat on you the whole game, you're going to be in trouble. And to your points, guys, that's where I'm worried. Because, yeah, if we're really bringing it, the, the Michigan State Thorson shows up, you know, this defense is not last year's defense. Like, we could get enough points to win a low-scoring game. But if this team can just keep us from even getting out of our own, you know, side of the field, getting across our own 30-yard line, then you can easily see a situation where they just lean on us until we break. Yeah, it feels like, you know, Wisconsin is going to get theirs, right? I mean, they're going to put up, what, 17 at least, you know, and we're going to need to find a way to get more than 20 points. Like, honestly, if we don't get 20 points, I don't think we win this game. So when I go back to last year's Wisconsin defense, I count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games in which they held their opponent under 100 yards rushing. In three of those, it was under 50. Um, and then there's an additional one, two games where they're right at 100. They gave up like 140-ish to Maryland and Illinois midseason. They're not posting those kind of numbers this year at all. They gave up 210 on the ground to Illinois last week. Oof. Granted, it was snowing, but um, still, like... Against Nebraska, they gave up 111. And granted, 57 of that was to Adrian Martinez, but Azubo averaged 5.8 on the ground. And, and they got Nebraska got down so early, they just started throwing like crazy. B, BYU really kind of controlled the ball on the ground, like 191 yards rushing. Like Squally Canada looked awesome against Wisconsin after not being able to run against Cal. Um,. So I, you know, it's it's funny, John, because when when we were talking pre-game or pre pre-pod, like we were focusing on Wisconsin's offense, which definitely still scares me. Um, although the the other interesting uh, factor is is uh, uh, Quintus Cephas, um, their their wide receiver who's been suspended most of their off the team most of the year. Um, put up over 100 yards against the Cats last year, and he's he's not around this year. They've only got one wide out in Danny Davis you really need to worry about. Um, and they don't have Fumagalli either yeah. anymore, and that's a big loss too. I mean, they've still, got, they've still got goodness at the tight end position, but it's not – yeah, I mean, Fumagalli was really, really good. So I, I don't know. There's a, there's a story here that might be more about the Wisconsin defense, that they are not putting up the types of numbers that we've seen in the last – two or three years. I don't know why that is though. I guess I know they've got a couple of like injuries, but yeah, I don't. And, and you know, color me, anyone who listened to the summer previews, color me as surprised as anybody, because I just think that they, they just have this absolute genius thing. But for whatever reason, it's pretty clear that they are just a, a lighter version of what they were last year. I mean, I think the, the Iowa game being a great example the Iowa game, they won 28-17. They were trailing with a minute left in that game. Um, that was that was a game where both defenses just shut each other down for the entire game. And they scored, went ahead, and then got the ball back. I think Iowa threw an interception. And then all Wisconsin needed to do was kill the clock. And then um, instead their fullback broke a 31-yard touchdown run and then made a jackass out of himself. So it was like that game was very tight the entire game and right i mean it's like wisconsin's it's to the point of where we kind of started there's so much i feel like we don't know like what does wisconsin's defense or iowa's defense do when it handles rondell Moore now you know what i mean um if we can get our passing game together what does this defense look like if thorson's slinging the ball all over the field you know so yeah it's it's a big question it's so fascinating but I feel like one thing we can agree, like, this seems attainable. It seems doable. Yes, yes, absolutely. And what's interesting is that Wisconsin has been attainable for Northwestern for, what, like six or eight years running now? 
and it seems it's usually a very tight, close game. We had, you know, that weird game in, in, uh, was, was it in Wisconsin where, uh, uh, Godwin had three, three picks as a freshman, <laughs> uh, like, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. We've had some weird stuff. No, like no, no, that. no. That was, that was in Evanston. That was in Evanston. Evanston. Okay. So we've yeah, had, yeah. I mean, we've had a couple of weird games like that, but generally, um, this has been a very tight series despite what has felt like a pretty sizable talent differential given how many Big Ten championship games Wisconsin has been to, et cetera, et cetera. Here's the interesting thing, and I I knew this because I've been tracking this this year um, for a variety of reasons, but I hadn't looked at it all, all in one place. Wisconsin is really banged up. So in addition to, to wide receiver Quintus Cephas, uh, Xander Newville, who was their starting tight end coming into the year, is, is out, and his replacement has really uh, – uh, Jeff Ferguson – has really not put up any stats, so they've they've lost a lot of of uh, power at the um, at the tight end position as far as their passing game goes. Uh, Bradrick Shaw, uh, fullback slash running back, is also out, but then a, a slew of defensive players. Uh, defensive end Garrett Garrett Rand gone for the season. Isaiah Loudermilk has missed the last couple games. Dakota Dixon has missed the last couple games. Um, Craig Howe is another guy who is out. Uh, Scott Nelson, uh, uh, who's one of their starting safeties, missed last game. There's, they've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen players on their injury report right now, and half of those are confirmed out for the season. I don't recall Wisconsin having nearly that kind of injury issue over the last couple of years, and this, I mean, this is a little bit of the why behind these defensive stats we've been talking about, and. Maybe maybe this is maybe this is the window, right? Maybe this is the crack in the door that that the cats need because we know that there's a lot of guys we didn't play last week. Nathan Fox, um, uh, Nate Hall, who were I'm not going to say expecting yet, but anticipating are going to be back this week. But let, let's let's also you know be be realistic here. I mean, there is a, equally as good a chance that our offense just doesn't show up, and Wisconsin comes in and just rolls all over us. The, well, I guess the situation I'd be worried about, right, is, first of all, let's really give our defense credit, especially the front seven, especially the defensive line, right? You take away the read option mess against Nebraska, and we've shut everybody down this entire season, just about, right? I mean, it's it's been a lockdown situation. Um, well, with, with the exception of Rondale Moore, but, you know, he's sure. like, no one's stopping him. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. that guy's really exactly. good. Yeah, Rond- Rondale's got, still got a chance to play his way into the downtown athletic club as a freshman. So, the uh, yeah, I'm not so worried about that. Uh, Rondale and his 600-pound squat. So, with that said, we've – the – the issue I have is so so the reason I brought that up is I expect us to do a pretty good job, at least at the start of the game, against Wisconsin's run defense. I'm not saying we stone them. I'm saying give credit where credit is due to a good defensive line and linebacker core against the run. What I'm worried about is if our offense isn't clicking and all the defensive line guys can't get off the field. We've seen how this happens, especially against teams like Wisconsin, where I know we I know we have a deep defensive line, but they need rest. And if you can't get those guys their rest, a team like Wisconsin is going to lean on you if your offense is just three and outing it again and again. And um and again, like Wisconsin I said earlier, like last season they just made their bones on situations like that because no one could do anything against them. Um but it and, and that that's the thing, like, you know, what happened with us against Michigan is we were three and outing and our defense got tired, and Michigan was able to scrape and claw their way back. Exactly. And like, and just enough. And again, like, look at the way Michigan's offense performed against Wisconsin. Like, give our defense credit. Um, and on the flip side, you know, Scott, you're talking about the injury bug. Like, I, I'm playing the smallest violin for the Badgers because uh, I'd submit anyone to look and see how Ohio State did running the ball against Purdue. And then think of how we did running the ball against Purdue. We came out of that game being like, well, geez, I guess we're just going to run all over everybody. And that was like one starting lineman ago. Um, you know, that was with five healthy offensive linemen, which I don't know how many we have now. And, Three. and, and Jeremy Larkin. And Jeremy Larkin. And Lar- Yeah, Larkin. And so, again, it's like we've we've been decimated as much, if not worse, than anybody out there. Um, the The we, one thing we, I... 
You look at you look at our depth chart uh, for this Wisconsin game. We've got four guys listed as ors as the starting running back. Right. So you know it's 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 it's, it's we've had we're in as much of a mess as anybody. I think if I was the Badgers, the one thing I would be looking at would be I'd be trying to target Trey Williams. I think you have to go back a couple games. Luckily for Trey, um, the offenses he dealt with the past couple of weeks, he wasn't really targeted. He didn't have a great game against Nebraska, but it, they just were not a the pass ha- a pass happy kind of team. Um, obviously, not Rutgers. The week before, he had a couple tough breaks, but it was a weird situation because uh, Montre was just flip flopping with Felton Davis, um, the now you know now torn ACL Felton Davis. Ouch! But um, was flip-flopping all day, and, and we knew that they were going to their primary option all day. With Wisconsin, you could see a situation where they just they just try to target him, where they're not attacking a specific receiver. They're just going at Trey and trying to bust a big play, um, which, to be fair, they'd probably be trying to do if Greg Newsom was out there too. But, um, you know, that it's that kind of stuff that worries me as much as anything. The interesting thing is that I think we can get after Hornibrook in, in some ways to I, I think that's where I think that's where we win and lose the passing game is is less on the coverage and more on attacking Alex Hornibrook and getting to him before he can do good stuff. Um, so if I look at his uh, his stats over over time, Lat, uh, two years ago in 2016, 13 sacks uh, on the year. Now, granted, he didn't. He, he was splitting time a lot of that season. Last year, 21 sacks on 300 uh, some attempt, attempts. He's on pace to uh, to beat that just just barely. Um, but he's he's getting sacked at a pretty decent clip right now. He's had 11 sacks thus far this year. I think that's the key. Is if we can dial up that pressure a little bit, and, and I think about. I think about the Trey Williams uh, blitz against Nebraska and Adrian Martinez. Like, especially if we can neutralize the run game a little bit and and get some of those key third down leverage situations, I I like the idea of bringing heat because their wide receiver core is not super athletic. This is these are not Michigan's wide receivers. We need to be covering, and Hornibrook generally I don't think is great against pressure. So. That to me, that's where we win this game. Like step one, uh, shut down the run, and then I think more than any other game we've played this year, we've got to get to Hornybrook. We got to get home. We need a Fadi to come and give a pep talk because Wisconsin Afadi was the mm. all-time great Wisconsin mm. performer. Whatever, whatever possessed him on Wisconsin game days, we need him to transmit that to the defensive line. Uh, do I do want to leave it there? Um, you know, it's you know eleven o'clock on Fox. Um, you know, national TV. We're going to be on national TV two weeks in a row. Let, uh, let, so let's, that, that'll be fun. Let's just emphasize once again: this is the biggest game in six mm-hmm. years at Northwestern. This is the first legitimate opportunity that the Cats have had to uh, control their destiny in the conference to uh, knock out Wisconsin as a uh, contender for the Big West championship. I mean this this is not this is not all the chips like there's still there's still several hurdles uh, to go after this game but but again this is the biggest most meaningful game that the cats have played in since 2013 and that's that's a damn big deal. Um, and and let's also keep in mind that the week after, as far as the Big Ten is concerned, completely meaningless. Meaningless. All for pride. <laughs> yeah. All for pride. Um, and I think, I mean, this team's smart. Like, like the, they've had on their, you know, their list of goals, contend for a Big Ten championship for a long, long time. This is the first real opportunity that they've got to do it. Um, you know, playing Michigan earlier in the year, like, you're just, they're not in our side of the conference. You're just, you're just not there yet. Um the way the way the cats responded at Michigan State the week after that in in what was truly a must win situation, um, frankly gives me gives me some some optimism and hope for this game because it's that type of of must win scenario and it's it's a lot easier for that that motivation to crystallize 
the last week in October than it is the last week in September. Do you guys see what the line is on that? I'm going to say Badgers by 14. No, it's like three and a half. Uh, six, six and a half. Oh, six wow. And half. Six and a half. I love it. Good. Good. I'm glad that people are giving us at least the defense, the respect and giving a good idea of what kind of game this is going to be. Um, don't forget too, Badgers are at Penn state and at Purdue, um, later on this season. So, um, if it helps you to visualize a theoretically seven and five Wisconsin team at the end of the season to build confidence <laughs> for this game, then by all means harness harness that energy and spirit, and let's go out and and put it on that theoretical team. Forty percent chance of rain, uh, but only ten mile an hour winds. So I don't know. Interesting. Uh, so let, let's talk about uh, the rest of the Big Ten. I mean, you're, it's really hard to. You know, say anything else without talking about that uh, Purdue demolishment of Ohio State. I mean, that that wasn't just squeaking by. That was taking it to the Buckeyes and, you know, planting their flag in the ground and exclamation point. I mean, that was a butt whooping. If, if I may um, implore the Northwestern coaching staff for a moment, coach and coach and coach, Please go watch that game to understand what it means to not get conservative with a lead in a big moment and to put your balls on the line and just and just go for go for gusto and see what happens. That's the way to do it. I mean, Purdue took away Ohio State's will. At the end of the game when it was getting more and more clear that, you know, Ohio State was going to have to do something special to to come back, they quit. Like they quit on that game. And Purdue was like, okay, we'll keep going because we can and it, we will and we've we've taken your will and we're gonna do this. It was you're absolutely right, because the complexion of the game was two totally different halves. The first half was Purdue hanging on for dear life while Ohio State marched down the field, got inside the twenty, and then somehow couldn't get points. But the minute Ohio State suddenly realized things were going south, Purdue just steamrolled them. Um, and yeah, which I mean, again, I don't want to make it sound like Purdue is the little engine that could since they have the scariest player in college football now. Oh my God. Rondell Moore. Uh, I, I can't even with that guy. That guy's just absolutely unreal. Um, and we get to see him at least two more times, possibly three. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's going to, yeah, right. But, but on the flip side, Wisconsin and Iowa both get to see him this season too. And that tiebreaker against Purdue may end up becoming really valuable. So um, we we will see. But the other thing too, of course, hanging over that whole game was the Tyler Trent situation. Um, Purdue has a Purdue student with, who's battling cancer um, in the advanced stages. Um, ESPN had an amazing piece that covered it. And then he was at the game. I think he was a former sports writer, I want to say, for the school paper. Huge Purdue fan. Um, the school has really rallied around him. The football team's rallied around him, and he called the win. I mean, it's it's you know fairy tale stuff. It was um, kind of stuff that it's 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 stuff that makes you feel good about being a sports fan. Just an amazing moment. I just I just want to highlight again, like there are two moments where Purdue really could have said, "All right, look, we've you know we're up by by multiple scores." We've shut Ohio State down over and over and over again in our red zone. We, you know, we we've we're in their heads. We've disrupted their offense. They can't run against us. Against us, we can we can hold on. And in neither of those cases, both up uh, fourteen to six, Purdue was was passing. They're throwing the ball. They're going for gut. They're playing for a touchdown. Up twenty one six, same deal. Um. It was after that that they started to just break off, you know, 40-yard runs left, right, and center because uh, Ohio State's defense had, had uh, you know, lost their mental edge and Rondell Moore is untackleable and, and, frankly, DJ Knox looked really, really good as well. But point being, in, in key situations where they really could have said, like, hey, let's play for a field goal, let's make sure we don't turn the ball over, they did not do that. Um, they've got a senior quarterback in, in David Blau that they, they put a lot of faith in, but 
this this team went for it. They did not uh, they did not rest on the formula that had gotten them through the first two and a half quarters of the game. No, just very very impressive uh, by Purdue. Um, Michigan beating Michigan State twenty one seven. I mean, I. I, I failed to see where that's a big surprise. I mean, we we saw both of these teams, and, you know, Michigan is just a better team than Michigan State. And, you know, Michigan's defense is really, really good, and Michigan State's offense is mediocre at best. Well, I mean, Michigan State has lost a wide receiver, basically, like, every right. week. Who um, was their whole—and they lost yeah, one of their whole team. Yeah, right? they lost Felton Davis midway through this game, and, and it was it was still, I believe, 7-7 at that stage. Michigan needed, you know, an, an incredible 80-yard touchdown pass to, to Peoples-Jones uh, to, to finally break that, break that tie. But, it, I mean, it looked like— like at one point, Michigan State recovered a fumble, and it looked like they were maybe going to go up in this game. So I don't like. I agree with you, Sam. Michigan is better. Michigan State is now just a, a mess with with nobody to catch the football anymore. But this game, to me, was was maybe not for the last quarter, but for the first three quarters, much closer than the score would indicate. It, it you could have you could have easily envisioned this being a fourteen fourteen game going into the into the last quarter. Yeah, I don't want to go through every uh, game on the Big Ten, but um, you know Iowa shutting out Maryland. Uh, you know they're they're looking good. They're looking real tough. For, um, yeah, Nebraska for, just mop, mopping the floor with Minnesota. Yeah, we called it. I mean, they, to get, yeah, it was it was their time. You know, they they finally arrived, and for a second, it looked like they were going to give it back for a little while. <laughs> Man, they gave up twenty two straight points. Oh my god, it was it was gonna be delicious, but uh, just the poor but they but yeah, yeah, they they poured it on and, and again it's it's the kind of thing where they, they have found an offense that, that can be dangerous and they're they're another team that can help us now. Um Nebraska has nothing to play for. Well, I guess theoretically they could win out but and, and go to a bowl, but but they can cause carnage in the Big Ten West that is beneficial to us for sure. Uh, going back to that Iowa game, yes, they beat yeah. they 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 hammered they hammered Maryland, um, which was much more about how bad Maryland is than how good Iowa is. Uh, Nate Stanley looked very pedestrian in this game. Eleven of twenty-two for eighty-six yards. Yikes! Ooh, uh, they. they they ran the ball, I and mean, this game was over in like an hour and forty five minutes. It was crazy. Uh, I like Iowa. Iowa to me is Wisconsin light, and, and like very similar in a lot of the same ways. Maybe maybe on, on the on the whole a bit stronger on D and not as strong on offense, but um, another team that that the Cats match up really well with. I'm fascinated to see what Iowa looks like away from Kinnick this weekend at Penn State. Um, all indications of like the last three or four weeks would tell you that Iowa should beat Penn State on the road. I just don't think it's going to happen, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll see. This, I mean, for whom does um, the bell toll, Iowa? It tolls for thee. <laughs> all, all, we're we're going to know exactly what Iowa's made of in the next three weeks, but um, we really need Iowa taking that L. Come on, James Franklin. For one week, I won't hate you. Get it, get it done. But, you know, we're talking about James Franklin in a potential close game, making a smart choice. I, I yeah, yeah un, un, unlikely, but, uh, but here's the, I mean, Iowa has been a dramatically better team at home than away the last two seasons. And if Nate, if Nate Stanley struggles this badly at home against a horrific Maryland defense, um, I mean, Penn state offers a very different, uh, a very different ball of cheese. Um, Going around the uh, rest of the schedule for this weekend, uh, you got a Friday uh, night game, Indiana at Minnesota. Um, mm. Indiana, two-and-a-half-point favorite. Don't really care. Ew. Um, you know, Minnesota is not great. Indiana, I mean, sure, they, they stayed with Penn State a lot longer than I think Penn State wanted them to in that game uh, this weekend. But, uh, I, yeah, I, I probably do owe John a uh, a, uh, a kudos or a, or a beer or whatever. Um, in that we argued a bit about Maryland and Indiana in our preseason previews. Um, me thinking that Maryland was the better team, and I think I think it's been proven that that uh, John was correct all along. 
about Maryland versus Indiana. I yeah, mean, but Indiana who, being being a stronger squad. I mean, who cares? <laughs> I know. But... <laughs> Great. I'm gonna pat myself on the back. <laughs> uh, I I don't think. Although I don't know. Can either of those teams help us anymore? I don't know. Per Indiana could. Um, although I don't against Purdue, but d- let's just say forecast cloudy on that one. <laughs> uh, you got Purdue going to Michigan State. I'm interested to see, you know, if Michigan State's defense does with uh, DJ Knox and uh, and Rondell Moore. That they, I mean, those guys are not going to sleep or you know stop doing all sorts of things until Thursday of this week after beating Ohio State the way that they did. I'm. I mean, they're they're professionals. I'm confident that. Well, they're not professionals, but they. No. Well, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's another. That's another topic. They, they comport themselves like professionals, uh, <laughs> uh, much like we did in school, Sammy. And um, as a result, I think that they. I. You know, I don't. I don't expect them to to wet the bed against Michigan State, but I suspect us. I I anticipate a sizable letdown, and the the question is if Michigan State's got the ponies to take advantage of it. They might not. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Purdue looked like world beaters last week. Meanwhile, Michigan State scores seven points and loses their their heart and soul of their offense. It just screams letdown game, and we really need it to be a letdown game. We have the tiebreaker with Purdue, which means if Purdue has two losses, we can lose a game and still get in over them. So we need, it would be super for us, if Purdue gets that second loss out of the way and then goes on this cyclone tear through the <laughs> West and just basically it's like we need maximum possible damage done by the Boilermakers, except it would be really nice if they had one more loss than <laughs> they do right now. So oh. the perfect scenario would be come out, hiccup game, come back to earth, regroup, and then lay waste to the Big Ten West, Purdue. That would be wonderful. But hey, just win win your next two home games and uh, and drop one on the road. Amen. Uh, Nebraska, you know, filling a void in their schedule from the Akron uh, storm out. Uh, Bethune-Cookman comes to town. Wonderful. Yeah. Let's move on. Win number two. Uh, Iowa at Penn State. You know, we uh, you know mentioned that earlier. That'll be that'll be a fun game to watch. I just i I'm just so trying not to think about the place we could be in by about five p.m. on Saturday, um, or but like about six p.m. on Saturday. Um, Things could all go wrong or they could all go right, but this would be part of a series of events uh, that could be seismic for Northwestern. I mean, like, if you look at Penn State's record, up until this Indiana game, there's nothing surprising. But coming off of a loss against Michigan State, playing at Indiana, not an exciting time, with this with this big matchup against Iowa on the horizon, like... The fact that Penn State looked like garbage against the Hoosiers is like the least surprising thing possible. And it just it screams bounce back to me. Now the only kicker is that they go to Michigan the following week, so um they've probably got a lot on their minds, but I, I don't know. I, I I like I like Penn State this weekend. That like they have so much talent on offense. It, I, if if Wisconsin was able to beat Iowa, um not with ease, but I mean very convincingly on the road. This is a much harder task for for uh, for the Hawkeyes, given uh, guys like Miles Sanders and um, oh, what's the what's the receiver's name? Um, KJ Hamler. Uh, I, they just they don't that type of speed and power. They haven't seen it yet this year. So um, this will be interesting. Now, if Iowa wins this game, that puts an entirely different perspective on the next five weeks. Let me just let me just add finally too. If late in this game I was trailing by a few points and with about a minute left, they the running back suddenly breaks free. You just go right on into that end zone running back. <laughs> you, I I'm sure your defense will take care of all yeah. the problems yeah. from that point yeah. on. You just go to Pater, my friend. Just the, take those points. The Iowa defense would never like hiccup in the <laughs> waning moments of a game against Trace McSorley. Never. Yeah. Ah. Never. No. Could, could could 
I, one one thing I ask for in this is six to four part two. <laughs> I don't know, dude. Northwestern Rutgers already just, just set for college. hilarity's sake. Just, just for hilarity's sake. We already set college football back a few years last week with uh, with Rutgers. Let's. I don't know. <laughs> I just all I care all I want is for Penn State to win. That's all I care about. Uh, Illinois at Maryland. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Um, Ohio State gets the week off to lick their wounds, um, try to get their heads right. So does Michigan, um, to I guess to celebrate. Um, but yeah, that that's the Big Ten. Uh, real quick, uh, kind of looking around the country. Um, you know, I, I think the biggest game I'm interested in would be the uh, the cocktail party. You know, Georgia and Florida. I mean, that's all of a sudden, you know, two top ten teams. Is Florida really a top no, ten team? No, they're not. No, no they're not. <laughs> Georgia is going to beat the piss out of them, and then we can forget talking about them as a top ten team. It's only because they got okay. lucky against LSU. I'm sorry, this pisses me off. Florida is crap. I I couldn't agree more. They lost um, to Kentucky for the love of God. Yeah, well, Kentucky is not you know not nothing. I yeah. know, but this is just classic SEC creep. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, you're. This is just classic Florida carnage. But right, it's like it. It's like last year we we were we. It's like we want these games that meant something when we were in high school to mean something so much, like the cocktail party, like Alabama Tennessee. <laughs> but, but not so much. But I don't know. I mean, you're right. I mean, on paper, Florida wants it to be a big game, but I'm with Scuzz. I think Georgia rules. Game days there. Yeah, they should just go back to Pullman. Why not? Just do another week in Pullman. <laughs> Had a hell of, hell of a game there last week. Yeah, I'm trying um, to think. Any, any I'm other games? Where else? The, where else they could have gone? I mean, Florida State, Clemson is interesting, um, only because of the names. Uh, you mean besides the Titanic tilt for Big Ten West supremacy? Yeah, I mean, like outside of the Big Ten, I'm thinking Stanford, Washington State is kind of big for you know. Ye old Pac-12, but um, I don't know. So Washington State is ranked 14th, and Florida is really ranked. I mean, ugh. yeah. I mean, God, honestly, right? I feel like if Washington State plays Florida, Washington State's winning that game. Yeah, I just. And then at the same time, Texas is number six. So, I, I don't yeah, know. that ugh. Texas, I don't know. Texas, Notre Dame. There's a lot of football left to be played. A lot of stuff still needs to get sorted out. All we know is that Alabama is heads and tails a mile above everybody else. Yeah. 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 Um, Notre, speaking of Notre Dame, you know, we, we did kind of mention this uh, earlier in the season. This is their trip to San Diego. Oh, yeah. To they, take on Navy. Trap, trappy, trap, trap. They will win this game. Next week is – well, I, next week's not quite the trap because they're coming off a bye – um and navy is not good like notre dame will absolutely win this game but hopefully it is like as painful and brutal and grating as possible and then they have to fly cross country before traveling up to chicago next weekend plus it's a you know it's a 7 p.m kick central time so you know it's a night game in san diego and then you know so they're going to lose a day yeah coming back yeah yeah here's i'll, I'll be honest guys and, Let, and let's the, not put the cart before the horse well, here, here. Let, that, let's, that's where i'm going here is that i don't i don't give one shit about the Notre Dame game right now i, I, could, I like <laughs> i i couldn't i'm could not be nodding any harder than and i, I and i say that with like like i am i am one purple clad man in a sea of Irish uh supporters in my in my family uh situation, which is just lovely. I have no I have no complaints. Um although uh ending this three game winning streak against Notre Dame would be would be quite unpleasant for me as 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 some things go. Still, I just I could not care any less um given what's on the table this weekend. If the if, the only the only thing I'm thinking about for that is how many layers of clothes I'm going to have to put on because it's a night game. Temps we'll are talk about that to next be pretty week, good. But temps are supposed to be pretty good based on because uh, we want to bring our kids, so we'll see. 
two I, weeks in advance. Okay. I desperately want the game every Northwestern fan cares about that day to be Iowa Purdue. <laughs> <laughs> and we can make that happen <laughs> by taking care of our business this Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah, I mean, all eyes on Wisconsin. All eyes on Wisconsin. This, this is this is a huge I mean, this game makes or breaks the season to to a certain point. I mean, if if we want to get where we want to be, and we still can, you know, even as weird as the season has been, as bad as we've looked against Rutgers, against Akron, against Duke, you know, as, as bad as those have been, we still have every possibility, every opportunity to win the division. And we just need to take care of our own business. We don't need anyone else's help. As long as we take care of business, we're sitting in first place right now. Well, and and us taking care of business is a plausible scenario, as we discussed before. This is not like some outlandish, like oh man, we got to beat Ohio State at Ohio State, and you know we can we can control our destiny through Columbus. Um, it's I mean, it, it's tra- not that traveling traveling to Kinnick is going to be a thing. Yeah. Oh, for sure. But. Let, let's well, worry let's, about. We'll Wisconsin cross that bridge first. when we get to it. Yes. Yeah, that, that's a few weeks down the road. We're not even. We're not even looking there. It's all eyes on the Badgers. And with that, let's go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Um, once again, head to our website westlawpirates.com. Uh, go ahead and leave us a rating on iTunes on uh, whatever podcast app you are using to listen to this. Um, you know, give us some ratings. Tell a friend. Um, Tweet about us. Uh, we're at Westlot Pirates uh, on Twitter. We're on Facebook. You can call our voicemail line 847 231 2287. That's 847 231 CATS. Leave a message. Uh, we'll play it on the air. And you can always email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the West Slot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John Lacombe, Eric Skazboy, and Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.